and that was beautiful. Thanks, guys. Three announcements real quick. Number one, Mike Salyer is supposed to come home today. He got his gallbladder out and he's had some health issues. And he said, I just want to thank the people at Kingsway because I've heard from a lot of people and um, just a loving place. So I'm passing that on for Mike. Um, secondly, Shirley Newland had told me that another name now has come off the cross. Her granddaughter came to Christ, Stephanie. So there is a definite praise there. And third, with all the announcements this time of season, Easter morning at 6.45, a sunrise service to remember the sun has risen. So encourage you. So well, it's been our tradition for a long time at Kingsway to come be a part of that. Uh, and now let's go to our scripture. First Samuel 17. We've been talking about giants. And uh, this time where it's not just figuratively, uh, even though it's the giant of fear, this is a big rascal named Goliath, a real giant we're going to look at. 1 Samuel 17, if we stand in God's honor, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Let's pray. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes de Mimim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Let's pray. God, these giants are in our way. And Father, as we look this morning at this giant of fear, and um, we'd all be afraid with a guy nine six um, screaming at us. Uh, but Father, I pray uh, the areas of fear represented here this morning that we would see no matter what the object that brings fear to us is, it's far smaller than you. And so we may we place our confidence and our trust in you because, God, you are bigger no matter what it is. And so, Lord, just speak to us um, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Man, when it comes to fears, there's all kinds of fears out there. Some people are scared of spiders and snakes and heights and um, what was that? Some people are afraid of folks. You know, every once in a while I get scared. I don't know if that happens to you, Scott, but for whatever reason. But anyway, there are all these things, um, and sometimes things some of you guys would say, I don't know why that would scare you at all. My daughter called me at 8 o'clock last night, and she said, Dad, are you scared about this basketball game between Duke and Carolina? And I said, well, I'm not scared. I'm excited for the game. It's, it may not go my way, and I may not like it, but I'm not afraid. And she said, well, I work with this girl who graduated from Carolina, and she has been having anxiety all week over this basketball game. It, it has been troubling her. And I, I thought, wow, well, after last night's game, now, I have anxiety, and especially looking at Tim's shirt down there <laughs> um, is, a, is, a, is a tough thing. Uh, we've just gone through two years of, of a lot of fear, of pandemic, and people who have suffered as a result of that, and it, it's been, that's been a, a scary time. And then now, it, it seems like there's a lot of fear about our economy, 
and about inflation and are people going to have enough money to be able to, to pay their bills and so there's fear there and I found it interesting in one study that I read during the week that the number one fear uh, presently in our country is a fear of needles it's pretty tough with all the vaccinations that have been out there uh, as I saw that and you know it was interesting um, when I was a kid I was scared of monsters you know maybe monsters under my bed or monsters that might be hiding nearby in the woods where I grew up and uh, I was a big Spider-Man fan. Yes, Spider-Man has been around forever, and kids still like Spider-Man. But the way I would handle this, now, weird Todd, is I would dream, and I would be Spidey Jr. <laughs> in my dreams. And no matter what that monster was, Spidey Jr., take it. N you know, knock him out. Come out on top. <laughs> and so anyway... Hey, if it helped me sleep, it helped me sleep, right? But here in the scriptures, it's interesting here in verse that we read about, you had uh, God's people on one side of a hill, and on the other side of a hill, you had the Philistines, and they would come down into the valley, and they would fight. And this guy appears on the scene, and uh, in, in my text here, it says he's over nine feet tall. I mean, there's uh, been different scholars who want to talk about exactly how tall he was, but when you consider the average Israeli soldier was five foot three, if it was six six, that would be huge if you're five three. And you know, all I could think of was uh, an NBA center of seven feet tall going against Danny DeVito. And a matter of fact, you know, I looked up how tall Danny DeVito is. I didn't know this, he's four foot ten. So, you know, that would be quite a challenge. Or even Kevin Hart at five five, you know, towering over Danny DeVito. But even that would be really frightening. And here is a guy. He's, he's over nine feet tall. And actually, as we read about him, um, we discover that this guy had armor that weighed 125 pounds he was wearing. His spearhead weighed 15 pounds. So he was quite intimidating and you guys know the story. Instead of the constant battle of going back and forth in a battle, and, uh, Goliath had yelled, and he said, Choose you a champion, and the two of us will fight it out. And the loser will be servants to the other. And so, you know, the question is, who's going to fight against Goliath? This monster of a man. Well, the obvious thought would be, well, you know, maybe the guy who's head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, he just happens to be the king, but evidently he's hiding out because he doesn't volunteer. He doesn't want to get involved in this scuffle. And so there's this search for who is going to fight him. And uh, it's interesting to me because, you know, guys that are huge, they certainly are intimidating and frightening. But it's all in the perspective. Who's really bigger? How do we, how do we fight a giant? Uh, you remember with 3D glasses, uh, you know, you wore the 3D glasses in these movies that were 3D movies and you saw things coming at you and it certainly changed what you were watching on the screen when you had your glasses on or you took them off. And so perspective is certainly everything in the battle against the giants.
Uh, someone has said, in looking at the Grand Canyon, you have three people, you have an artist, and he looks out the Grand Canyon, he says, this would be a beautiful scene to paint. And then you have the pastor who says, look at this majestic creation to the glory of God. And then you have a cowboy that says, man, this would be a terrible place to lose a cow. But it's all about perspective. And, and so this morning, I'll just look at a couple things real quickly. Number one, as we look at this, fear can be intimidating. Fear can be intimidating. As this guy stood before him, they were frightened. They didn't know what to do. Why? Because their perspective was on the giant instead of upon God. And sometimes when we look around us, all we can see is the giant instead of our God who is able to bring us to victory and to see us through. God is there. God works. Fear can be debilitating. Look at verse 16. Uh, It says, For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening, and and he took his stand. So for forty days he'd get out there in the morning, and that rascal would come out there. And he'd just look, and he'd be a big jerk. I mean, he'd just let it fly. You know, I can just see him yelling out, you cowards, you bunch of little weenies. You're afraid to come out here, and you're afraid to face me. And he did that in the morning, and he did that in the evening. And this went on for 40 days. And, and these guys are just, you know, they're shaking in their shoes. They're not really warriors when they look at this guy that is bringing the challenge because of his enormous size. It, it's real funny it, with trash talkers. Um, y'all know I'm a big basketball fan. I've always uh, been a fan of Larry Bird. And I heard Magic Johnson this week. I found this old thing on YouTube. And, and he was talking about when he first had played Larry Bird. Um, he said that Bird had gotten open in the corner, and it was his assignment to get around a pick and to run over there and try to block Bird. And he said he's running toward Larry Bird to try to get in the way of his shot. And Larry Bird's talking trash the whole time. He's like, I don't know why you're running. Because when you get one step from me, I want to shoot this in your face. Swish. And sure enough, Magic runs. He gets there one step before. Larry puts up the shot. Swish. So they start going back down the court. And Larry Bird says, I told you, you shouldn't waste your energy. shouldn't run. So here's, here's this giant. And he's, he's saying, I challenge you, come down here and fight me. And they were terrified. <laughs> Someone has said, the devil doesn't know how to sing, only how to howl. And, and here was a guy, he was only howling. He was only talking trash to try to evoke fear. He was doing a pretty good job. And I think what happens to us many times is there's a question that petrifies us. It's what if. You know, what if, what if this happens? What, what if I lose my job? Or what if, what if I, I lose my spouse or, or my children? Or, or, you know, there's that what if game that, that continues to go on. You know, you look in the scriptures and the number one command is don't be afraid. 63 times God says, do not be afraid. Over 300 times there's instances where God is saying, don't be overwhelmed by fear. God wants to protect us. He doesn't want us to live in fear. That is the power and that's the heart of God. And so often, though, we get caught up in the what-ifs. Shel Silverstein, 
Uh, he writes children's books. And here's a piece he did called What If. Last night, while I lay thinking here, some what ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I plunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow taller? What if my head starts getting smaller? <laughs> what if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems well, and then the nighttime what ifs strike again. So as we look at this scene, you've got a bunch of soldiers who are supposed to be courageous and bold, and yet they're afraid. In verse 28 uh, of our text, as you go down in the chapter, we read, When Eliad, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So what had happened in the meantime is David's dad had said, I want you to go down, I want you to take some snacks to your brothers, find out how this battle is going. And so David comes down, he brings the snacks, says, Brothers are their soldiers, they're in the military. David's a shepherd, he's not in the fight. But as he walks down there, he experiences this arrogant giant who is speaking and intimidating the people. And then his brother attacks him. And if you remember, when Samuel came to anoint the next king, he went through all the brothers, and Eli was the oldest brother, so he was the first guy, and the scripture even talks about in the previous chapter, First Samuel 16, that Samuel, you know, he, he looks at he looks at Eliab and thinks, man, this guy has it. He is kingly material. And God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord, he looks at the heart. And, and it, it wasn't, you know, just all that outward stuff. Of we think, well, I'm not good looking enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not capable enough, or I don't have enough people around me to, to get this done. What if, what if, what if? It, it goes through our minds. What if? And yet God, and he calls us, he gives us what we need to fulfill that calling. And so David is there in that confidence of the Lord, and it would have been very easy for him to turn on his brother and get into an argument away from the real battle. And, and sometimes, quite honestly, that happens among God's people. Sometimes uh, we mistake the enemy, and we think he sitteth next to me in church, you know, and he maketh me mad. But the real enemy is not each of us. We're fighting another enemy. And David was able to keep his focus on the real enemy, he didn't get into this argument with his brother, but he was able to move beyond that. You see, fear requires conquering. Look at verse 45 
of our text. In um, 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And then basically he goes on, he says, and you will become bird food. So here is David. He's got that right focus. He's got that right perspective in conquering fear. He too, I mean, he could have turned to his brother Eliab and he says, uh, you know, you're sitting here calling me conceited and arrogant and, you know, this is all about me. You're supposed to be a soldier and I don't see you ready to fight. All I see you doing is shivering, shaking in your shoes. In fear. But he didn't do any of that. He set his focus on what was before him. And he understood that God was with him. So, uh, three things here as I close out here that are important in facing this giant of fear. He remembered his past victories. If you look in our text, verse 33, uh, Saul says, You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, but he has been fighting men from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from a flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by a tear, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Woo. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. He remembered past victories. We need to do that too. We need to remember where God has come through, where God has rescued us, where God has empowered us to face the giants that had paralyzed us before, the what-ifs that had consumed us. By the way, they say that of the worries that we have, 85% of them never even happen. Only 15% occur, and usually we find out that they're not near as tough and strong as we imagined they would be when we actually face them. But God had instructed David, remember my faithfulness, how you took care of though. I mean, he's a pretty, pretty bad dude to take care of bears and lions, for sure. All right, next, you conquer bear fear by realizing your personal assets. You know, it's interesting, as you look in this account, you have David and he comes to King Saul, and of course King Saul's this real big dude, head and shoulders of everybody. He says, David, I want you to use my armor. He's a lot taller than David, and so David's like, okay, uh, sir. And he tries to put on his armor. Uh, uh, one commentator said that uh, King Saul was trying to make an armadillo out of him. Uh, but he, he puts on this armor, and he can't even move because this armor doesn't fit. It, it's much too large and much too bulky, and it's just not made for David. And you know what? We are not called to be anybody else. God has made you uniquely for a specific reason. And he uses you the way he created you. You don't have to be some other great saint of God. You are the great saint of God that he created and saved and redeemed. I love Oscar Wilde has a saying, be yourself, everyone else is taken. 
And, and you know, that's just great advice. Be the one God made you. And, and that's what David did. He, he said, uh, King, I, I'm sorry, but this just is not me. This armor is not the way I fight. And he was wise enough to realize that, so he didn't go in his armor. You guys know, he, he took the five smooth stones, and he, he took his sling, and he, he headed out to fight. And in the process, he relied on a powerful God. I love verse 46. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And when you compare verses 25 and verse 45, you see that David realizes Goliath is not just attacking any army. He is attacking God's army. And that God takes it personally when his people are under attack. Remember when Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, was on the road to Damascus and was blinded by a light, and he met Jesus, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did that mean? He had been persecuting God's people, and so God took that personally. He said, to persecute my people is to persecute me. They're the same. God is jealous for his people. And even those people who are suffering now, who are persecuting uh, some of our brothers and sisters around the world who are losing their life, there will be a day when things will be made right. God is jealous for righteousness, and He is jealous for justice, and that will occur. You see, it's interesting as you look at this text, David compares weapons. He rattles off the weapons that this giant Goliath has, but then he names his primary weapon, which was the name of the Lord. And by declaring the name of the Lord... He was declaring an authority that was far greater than him. It was the Lord himself that was fighting for him. And if we're going to slay giants, we need to have a healthy respect for the size of our God. We may have a great problem, but we have a greater God that we can trust and that we can rely on. Um, I just close as I think about fear. There is a health, there should be a healthy fear. It seems to be missing often in today's culture of the fact that we are going to one day die. And that when we die, we will meet our Creator. And, and there's a fear there because what is He like? Is He ready to zap me? Because inside we know that. We're messed up. We've got problems. We're, we're, as we say in churchy words, we're sinners. We're, we're broken. And how can we stand before a creator, a holy God, and have any hope of appeasing him when it comes that time to be in his place before him? How do we do that? Well, I love 1 John 4.18. It says this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. So, what's the verse saying? It's saying, when you understand perfect love, and there's only one place you find perfect love, that's in the message of the cross of Jesus Christ who died for each of us so that we don't have to live in the fear of approaching the holy God 
because he died to give us a holiness that's far beyond our own. And he says we obtain that by placing our confident trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for each of us. And when we believe, we receive his goodness, his righteousness, his perfection ourselves, so that when the Father, the Creator, looks upon us, he actually sees the perfect goodness of Jesus Christ. That's perfect love. We don't have to live in the fear when we understand the perfect love and when we have received that perfect love. That's what the gospel is all about. And so it is critical. God, he offers. He, he offers that perfect love. It's critical that we receive it. Because if we don't receive it, we don't have it. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you for your holy word. And Father, we all have our fears. We all have our Goliaths. I truly believe there's none bigger than the fact that we will die. And what then? But Father, you've taken care of that. And as we approach you, may we walk in the power of Jesus Christ. And anyone who hears this and doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hasn't asked forgiveness from him that he has won on a cross. Uh, what a great day to do that to receive you, to trust you, to believe in you. So, Father, my prayer is as we have time of invitation that we would respond to you. Maybe someone here who needs to come forward and, and say, I, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior, to ask him to forgive me of my sin and to receive his righteousness. Uh, maybe someone who's done that and wants to display to the rest